Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hello there. Thank you for checking out the podcast. Coming up, lots of good stuff with Carolyn Klassen from Conexus Counseling, including a letter that she has written to herself now 30 years after her first marriage. And Global News reporter Dinah Foxall heads to Osborne Village in search of a rafter of wild turkeys. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now, the podcast. Carolyn Klassen from Conexus Counseling, conexuscounseling.ca. Hello, Carolyn. How are you? Hey, Hal. How are you? Nice to see you. Um, can we start with uh, Kelly Moore and I are doing on the Chorus Radio Network on Saturday. Mm-hmm. We're doing a show around the memorial in Humble with the Humble Broncos and uh, the crash that, you know, obviously really affected all Canadians, all I think, us. deeply. Yes. Right. And so I wanted to ask you a question. It's one year. Uh, is a memorial like that important? How? Why is it important? How is it important? Is it important to get together a year later or 10 years later and, and remember why? Because I think in our world, often we we like to think that we can just get over things really quickly. And I think a memorial honors the fact that it's a process and that you move through something and that it's not over, you know, Often when, you know, somebody dies, you get a couple days off work and you're supposed to come back and carry on as if it never happened. And a one year later says to everybody, particularly the families of the people that were so directly involved is, we haven't forgotten you. You still matter. We know that you're still hurting. And we gather together to formally acknowledge that we hurt along with you. And although we might not say it every day and it's not top of the news every day, it's just a chance for us all to honor that it still hurts a year later and it's going to hurt a year from now and five years from now. And you've got a quote. Yes. What's the quote? Okay. So you know that I am trained in the material of Dr. Brene Brown. Right. And she talks about the feeling of collective sorrow and recognizing that we are wired for connection and that when we gather together and and around Humboldt, I watched that live a year ago, right, when they gathered in the community center in the arena. Um, so many of us, it was a national experience. And so there's this virtual collective grief that we together felt and we gave each other permission to be sad about this, but about all our sorrows together, recognizing that we hurt in a world that so often says, you know, how are you? I'm fine. We collectively had a chance to say we are not fine. Um, We are all hurting and we hurt together and we take care of each other in that. And so this quote I just love from Brene Brown, she says, an experience of collective pain does not deliver us from grief or sadness. It is a ministry of presence. These moments remind us that we are not alone in our darkness and that our broken heart is connected to every heart that has known pain since the beginning of time. And so these memorials, these ones that that we're going to be honoring even this weekend, acknowledges that we are part of, a, we all, we, no one gets through this life without pain and that this is a chance for us to be together with the families and then be together with each other to say, yes, it hurts. And we know that it doesn't hurt less, but somehow it changes the hurt into something that's a little less painful to bear when we collectively support each other. Kelly Moore and I were were talking today, uh, getting ready for this, and and I said, you know, I I wonder, will we be doing this in in two years or five years or ten years, you know? 
Um, but maybe, as you've explained, it's important to do it, what, for as long as it's needed? Yes, and I think what we need to, rec- these experiences of collective pain remind us that we are in this together and unites us as, as a human spirit. They, it unites us. And in a world where I was listening just in the last half hour, right, where there's so much divisiveness and people are talking about the differences, when we're all together supporting Humboldt, nobody cares how you voted. It doesn't matter. You stand shoulder to shoulder with everybody saying, we support you together. Um, and all of those differences that seem so important in so many other arenas of life, they fade away. And we're just all feeling very human together. And we together support you in your sadness. Yeah. Um, also uh, today, uh, Brittany Greensley, one of our global news reporters, uh, has been doing a, a great job on a, a story about a Winnipeg woman who uh, had breast implants and it went horribly wrong. And I thought maybe this is an opportunity for us to talk a bit about body image. Okay. What, what are your, and, and I'm not talking breast, imp, you know, anything specific. I'm just talking, generally speaking, body image and and how we, uh, you know, is it okay to go and get work done? Uh, I don't know. I, I'm wide open. Your, right. your thoughts. One, and I'm supportive of people listening to their inner wisdom and making decisions that are best of them. So I don't judge people that choose to get the surgery. Right. But what I do know is that often people are making those decisions in a climate, in a culture where there are literally thousands of images that people see every day on billboards, on TV, in social media, in every single advertisement that we're flooded with thousands per day that have an artificial view of what women look like. Um, There are supermodels who don't like to look at their own images because they know that they don't look like what those images are. Those are highly photoshopped images. And yet there's this sort of hidden expectation that we measure up to people that don't exist in real life. And so it's interesting. There is some... um, some recent research that came out that says that the number of women that feel good about the way they look is 14%, but that's way up from what it used to be. Like we have come a long way that 14% of women now feel comfortable with how their bodies look. And uh, some research has said that 97% of women have an I hate my body moment every day. And I suspect that, um, that men just haven't been asked that question, that we might find out that there's a lot of men that have that moment every day too. I don't know. My hand's in the air. <laughs> okay. Yes, it is. Well, sure. Absolutely. And so I think we have to, So there's more body positive stuff that's coming out and there's more awareness and realization of media uh, campaigns that embrace as body positive, that allow people to make decisions about what they want to do in terms of plastic surgery, to make those decisions in an environment that supports uh, people to to feel comfortable with the way they look, and then to make decisions from a place of strength rather than I don't look like that. Yeah. So how do we battle those uh, messages that we are bombarded with every day? How how do we? combat that and uh, and just try and, and go out there and feel good about who we are and what we are? Well, I think one of the ways we do it is by having these discussions like you were just asking me now, where we raise it and we put it on everybody's radar of finding ways to give ourselves permission, to give our sons and daughters permission to create a world where people can feel accepting of who they are and where people work with their bodies to be healthy, which is different than looking sort of photogenic, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to take a break. It's 2.40, 20 to 3. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk about a, a blog post, which you can read at connexuscounseling.ca. Carolyn uh, will tell us about it. And uh, we're also going to talk about, um, oh boy, another poor guy who got it wrong 
And uh, we'll tell you about that. It's an interesting story. Coming up, Carolyn Klassen is here from Conexus Counseling. How on CJOB. Carolyn Klassen is here from Conexus Counseling, conexuscounseling.ca. Go there and see a picture of uh, Carolyn. How many years ago, Carolyn? Oh, I shudder. I can't believe it was 30 years ago. I uh, I just brought this up. I have not had a chance to read this yet, so I'm looking forward to reading it later, and you're going to tell us about it right now. But I pulled it up, and I can't believe that's you. And it's you. I mean, you've got the big hair. <laughs> big you know, hair, big 80s hair, big yeah. puffy sleeves. Well, oh, yeah. You know, the bigger the hair, the closer to God, the, right? I, I heard mean, that, sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it works. Um, and basically, you, you write so much cool stuff. Your blogs are great, and, and they're so – here's what I like about them. You're not afraid just to say, here I am. Well, and that's hard for a lot of people. It is. But what I guess because I have the, the privilege of hacking into other people's lives for a living, I realize that some of the things that I think and struggle with are not that unique, yeah. right? It's really not that personal because right. it's something we all struggle with. Yeah. yeah. Is, it, is it hard to tell these personal stories? Because I know, like, for example, you were here last week, and I took a little bit of what you said, and I wrote about it in my mm. uh, Winnipeg Sun column a quote that you had last week. And I got a text message from a friend who lost his wife and it was just really a a touching text. And when I shared that with you, you were like, oh man, you made my day because I know you do all of this. You're here every Thursday, you write, you do all of this to try and help others. Right, absolutely. And I think when I write a blog like this, there's a, one of my favorite TV shows is This Is Us. And in the very in the very first episode there, the physician says to the dad, right after he finds out that his son, one of his triplets has passed away, he says, I'd like to think there's no lemon so sour that you can't make something resembling lemonade. Mm. And I always feel like if we can compost our pain into finding ways of talking about it and having other people feel that me too feeling so that we have that ex- collective experience of being understood and feeling like we belong, why wouldn't I take every opportunity to do that? Well, you're talking about yourself here. Here's the uh, title. To my younger, to be divorced one day self on your wedding day. Dear Carolyn Bride. So basically, you've written a letter to yourself back then. Yeah, because I, I take you know I take a look at her and she was so hopeful and so excited about. She was also terrified because she was marrying a guy who was maybe going to be going anywhere in North America for his career, and so I was saying goodbye to Winnipeg forever, and I didn't know what that would look like. And so there was, but she was so ready to embrace the adventure, and I just. I, I'm, I look forward, to, I know sort of what she's anticipating, and I know it went so much different than she thought, but I'm at such a good place now. I'm also kind of excited for her, right? And I admire her courage and her strength. And I also I also know that she is heading towards a heartbreak that she has no idea is coming. Yeah. I know one of the things that you want to talk about with this is the good parts of a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I can certainly relate to that. My failed relationships, my failed marriage, I can look back and I too am in a much better place now, but I have learned and taken good things 
from those bad things. So I, I, but we'll get to that yeah. in a second. Uh, talk about, you want to talk a bit about identity. So maybe you want to read some of okay. it. I, I don't know. Okay. I can read a bit of it. Um, and some of the ideas when, one of the things that happens is when you commit your life to somebody else, one of the beautiful things about getting married is you have a chance to see yourself through your beloved's eyes. Right. right? And that strengthens you and it helps you believe in yourself. And so mm-hmm. when you lose the love of your partner, it really can be very, sort of um, kind of rocks your world. Like, who am I and am I? So I'll read this. When he stops loving you, this is to my Carolyn Bride self, when he stops loving you, you will wonder if you are lovable at all. It'll be a knockdown, drag him out, fight within yourself to figure out who you are without him. It will take a while, but you will come to know that you are a valuable, valuable human being, just as you are. You will wrestle with the stories you tell yourself and your friends and family and the healing journeys of your clients will help you come out the other side. You will know the truth of who you are. Your clients, the ones in the muck of a marital struggle, they will be the ones to remind you that marriage is good, that it is still worth believing in and fighting for. It will be hard and beautiful to see the vulnerability, courage, and connection of husbands and wives to each other in your office. Your clients will inspire you to believe in marriage, even as yours ends. Hmm. And I'm curious to know, before we talk about taking the good from bad, um, does stuff like this make you a better therapist? Like, for example, can you be a therapist that can help couples having not gone through a, a, a bad marriage, for example? Well, and I think what empathy is, is it's recognizing the emotion underpinning the other person's experience and really identifying with that feeling. And so we've all known feelings like loneliness, right. sadness, struggle, anger. Um but there is a way in which I know the depth of what it's like to be a part of the death of a marriage. And so mm-hmm. I think that increases my ability to be compassionate around anybody who feels like their life is falling apart because that's what it felt like at the time. Yeah. All right. So how did you find the good in this bad? Okay. So um, I've often remembered how much you loved that day, I write, and how good it was to build your good life with the man you married all those years ago. Sometimes I felt the pull to hate the day and every day after that when it went bad. So often when the ending is bad, our world tells us that we have to hate every moment, even those that were once good. But that's not fair or kind or realistic. Out of that marriage will come the most two beautiful miracles that you will ever have the privilege to raise. They will give you life when it feels like yours is over. They will become interesting people that have wonderful friends and that are going on to change the world. You became stronger when you married him because it meant being stretched, exploring new parts of yourselves, getting to know the world. There were many years he was good to you and good for you. That can still matter. It's okay to value the good parts of something that went bad. Hmm. Very nicely done again, Carolyn. Boy, um, and, and I'll tell you what, go to connectscounseling.ca, click on, on blog at the top, and you will see this and other stuff that Carolyn has wrote, and it's some really, really good stuff. To My Younger To Be Divorced One Day Self On Your Wedding Day by Carolyn Klassen from Connexus Counseling, connexuscounseling.ca. Excellent job again. Thank you. Um, quickly, before we go, I thought this was sort of an interesting story. A woman, her husband comes home. What did he come home? I can't remember the details now. I don't have it in front of me. The wrong chicken? He came or? home with the wrong kind of chicken. I don't know what that means. Because like, yeah. apparently when she called 911. And she called 911. <laughs> and the police had to sort it out. Um they never did. It wasn't ever clarified in the news what sort of chicken she yeah. was expecting and what he brought. 
<laughs> I mean, first of all, don't call nine one one because he brought home the wrong chicken. But what what's the what what is in here that we can take okay, from this? So there's this fabulous blog called MustBeThisTallToRide dot com, yeah. and there's this this blog where this guy writes. He says to other husbands, "I'm going to try to save your marriage." He says, "My wife divorced me because I left the cup on the counter and didn't put it in the dishwasher," <laughs> and he's like. Clearly, it's not about the cup, right? Yeah. It's about really listening to other people. And it's, it's what we don't know is how that straw broke the camel's back, what all preceded it, and what it meant to her when he brought home the wrong kind of chicken, right? Like, it's just a symptom of something much deeper in their relationship that wasn't going well. And I think the challenge for us all is how can we really pay attention to what our partners are saying to us, what they're asking of us, and how we can have that matter to us in a way where 911 is not, you don't have to call them because something yeah. goes south. Yeah. Right. But, you know, but I really, here's the thing, though, is sometimes, you know, men and women, aren't, we aren't mind readers. Like, there has to be communication yes, about yes. this stuff, right? Yes. I mean, you can't just figure it out. You can't just go, gee, something must be wrong because she called 911 when I brought <laughs> on the wrong chicken. Like, there you, there needs to be a dialogue. Absolutely. And actually, I think while you were gone, I talked with Kathy Kennedy about the second edition of my book, which the first edition yes, was called. I, I heard about that. The first edition was about my marriage is almost dead and my husband doesn't get it. And people thought I was beating up on the husbands. Right. And so the second edition is called... Um, Ah, uh, nice to a fault, redefining kindness in marriage. And it's about how women often are very frustrated and feeling like things aren't working, but they don't give themselves permission to let to, to really let their husbands know, this is what I'm feeling, this is what's not working for me, this is what we have to pay attention to. And if we don't, there's going to be big trouble coming, yeah. um, where, where women really use their voices to let people know what's going on. We've been socialized to silence ourselves and just be nice at the expense of everybody. It's short-term peace for long-term conflict. So there are these turkeys. We found out today that a, a group of turkeys is not a flock, not a gang, not a group. It's a rafter, a rafter of turkeys. There is a rafter of turkeys causing a commotion in Osborne Village. And so we sent Global News reporter Diana Foxhall down to Osborne and Roslyn to find the turkeys. As God is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly. They're the talk of the town. They're even impacting traffic. Watch out for a flock of wild turkeys that are apparently crossing Osborne and Roslyn. That was just a little while ago, but they could still be in the area. Watch out for that. They were headed eastbound. We eventually found the turkeys after a wild goose or turkey chase at the corner of Osborne and Roslyn around 845 this morning. The birds were posing for pictures in the morning sunshine as we approached, poking around at the ground for anything resembling food. And while wildlife expert Barrett Miller says male turkeys can be aggressive this time of year, these toms were anything but. They do have sharp claws. If you've watched the Jurassic Park movies, you know that dinosaurs sort of evolved into birds. Remember how smart and how vicious the raptors were. Turkeys are scaled way, way down, but you are talking about little dinosaurs with sharp claws. As we approached the corner where the birds had staked out their territory, we spotted a man throwing handfuls of something towards the turkeys. It turned out the local turkey whisperer lives in the Roslyn Court building next door. Dave Gagnon says the birds are a welcome addition to the neighborhood as his apartment doesn't allow pets. They've been super relaxed and uh, I just feel bad because they're eating garbage. So I tried to get them some nuts. Do you like them? I think so. They, 
I don't know, they didn't like the little bananas in there, but they liked everything else. And it's not just the residents who are fascinated by the birds. Postman James Silva says he's been delivering mail in Osborne for nine years, but he's never seen anything like this. I mean, I see everything here in Osborne Village, so this is uh, unusual to see. It was last week, I'd say, Wednesday or Thursday last week, about two or three of us, uh, a few tenants that came out of the apartment block, they're all taking pictures. Kind of unusual to, to see them out on the street. So far, Silva says the birds haven't bothered him as he completes his deliveries. Meanwhile, another Osborne resident named Skyler says it seems like the birds have really claimed their territory on that corner. They seem to have uh, kind of adapted to the neighborhood and uh, kind of just seem to uh, have kind of made it their own. And everyone's kind of used to them at this point, actually. But while Skyler may be used to the birds, not everyone is. Kendra says she couldn't believe it when her friend told her she'd seen the turkeys. So she had to go and check for herself. My friend actually seen them around in this area before and I didn't really believe her but she had pictures. So um, when I saw them I thought I'd stop by and take a couple pictures because obviously it's true. We spotted dozens of other Winnipeggers pausing as they walked past the northeast corner at Osborne and Roslyn, taking photos while the birds strutted their stuff at their new digs. Diana Foxall, it is uh, Diana Foxall, our global news reporter, and, uh, yeah, turkeys in Osborne Village. Rick is uh, on the phone. Rick says he knows where there is another rafter of turkeys. Rick, where are they? Uh, I believe I saw a small rafter on McDonald's uh, north of Murray. Yeah, we actually had a text message about that. Somebody set up by a restaurant there, right? Eh? Uh, well, I don't know. I was going to uh, the credit guy to pick oh. up the tires. I don't know if there's any restaurants out that far. Okay. All right. Yeah, but I heard uh, up on McPhillips, yes, another rafter of turkeys. Thank you very much. Appreciate the call. Thanks a lot, Rick. A uh, couple things I want to get in here quick, so I'm, I'm kind of rushing things along here. Um, I promised earlier I would have a pheasant story for you. Somewhere in the U.K., I'm not sure where, this pheasant on this guy's property was getting very territorial, and his buddy said, well, I'll do my, my uh, almost naked pheasant sex dance. And he's, what? And he goes, yeah. So he goes and puts on a hat. He's got a G-string, and he starts dancing by this. Why are you laughing, Cam? This is a real news story. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. just. And uh, he starts dancing uh, by this pheasant, and this pheasant actually leaves the area. And I've got the audio. <laughs> no way. <laughs> if you want to search the video, the video's online. Here's the audio from the video. This guy's almost naked sex pheasant dance. Come and do your dance. No, Ronald. This is Ronald. He's, he's a bit nasty. So, uh, his uh, mate here, he's, he's, he's going to do a little dance for the boy. <laughs> Show him the 40. You can hear it. <laughs> Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.